this week on Dig Me Out. Jason Zia and Tim Minichi. Jay, this week we are getting to one of our anniversary reviews for our Patreon subscribers. It's a 12-month anniversary, Jay, which means they get to pick their requested review for uh, sticking with us. So that's uh, at the $2.50 tier. Yes, right? which is currently locked. We've, we've, we've sold all those out. Uh, they're kind of like Green Bay Packer season tickets now. You have to somebody has to die <laughs> in order for you to inherit that that uh, particular tier, and has to be willed down to your family member uh, in order to uh, take take control of the uh, of the two fifty level. So um, we, we've still got the one dollar level, which gives you all the access, but it just doesn't give you the review. And we might have some other things coming up in the new year as we uh, work with our promotions and and uh, online staff of people who come up with our various <laughs> tiers and uh they didn't do much work this year because they only came up with the two um so we need to we need to get on them about it so joining this is joining us this week with his pick for his 12 month uh completion is uh mr chris martz who has joined us before brainiac rings a bell anybody chris welcome back Thanks for having me again, guys. And you'll be joining us again when we get to our In the 90s episode that you got to pick on Kiss. Oh, yeah. yes. That'll be coming up in a couple months, Jay. Oh, I, I can't even. You, you don't even understand. Like, that episode is the whole reason I started doing this five years ago, <laughs> is that we would eventually get to this moment. Seven years ago. But, um, whatever. yeah, whatever. Yeah, so uh, unfortunately we won't be able to talk about what's in Gene Simmons' vault uh, because we don't have the the requisite $50,000 in order to purchase it. But uh, hopefully somebody will share that with us so we can um, we can discuss. But we'll have fun talking about uh, all the stuff in the 90s for Kiss. Neither here nor there, Chris, please do the honor of telling us the band you have chosen, their album, and why you pick them. All right, so the album I chose was Seamless by Into Another, released in 1995. It's kind of their only release, as like their major label, I guess, uh, debut and their only record. But I chose it just because there's pretty interesting backstory to the band, how they came up, how they came to be. And even with after this record, there's a lot more to talk about that happened afterwards that mm -hmm. it's just, it's a really interesting story. And, um, yeah, this is one of those records that I only found out about by just going to the record store and picking it up, but never hearing anything. And I don't know how many people out there have even heard of this band or heard of this record. So it's a good one to pick. Jay, I, I hadn't heard of him. Had you? No, had not. Which I'm kind of surprised because when I listened to the band, I was like, I should have heard of this band. Like mm, this, yeah, this hits like so much of what I was listening to. So yeah. let's go through their history a little bit so we can talk about the interesting aspects of, of that. Um, so they're from New York City. 
and formed in 1990. The original lineup was Richie Birkenhead, vocalist, drummer Drew Thomas, bassist Tony Bono, and guitarist Peter Moses. Now, all of those guys had been in bands previous to this, except for Peter Moses. From what I read, he was just a guy who was just like played guitar, and they knew. I think one of the guys knew him. Am I got that correct, Chris? Uh, something about that. I mean, all the the other guys had all been around the New York hardcore scene, and I don't know where they found Peter. You know, and <laughs> to be honest with you, but he he added he added so much to the band, and I, he really kind of helped define their sound, especially coming from the previous types of bands that um, the, uh, the other guys had come from. Yeah, and Richie Birkenhead, the vocalist, was in um, Youth of Today, which is, I, I think, a fairly well-known hardcore band from Danbury, Connecticut, Jay, one of our favorite cities in, in uh, all of uh, Connecticut. Where uh, do, you, do you remember what the, the importance of Danbury, Connecticut, Jay? Yes, I remember visiting there one time for yes. a day. For a day when Tangent, we went to play a show there, Drove the number of hours to get to Danbury, Connecticut, and when we got there, the bar had a uh, eviction notice on the uh, front window, which is always a great sign when you arrive somewhere to play a gig and there's eviction notice on the front door, <laughs> and nobody bothered to call you and tell you that um, on your drive to Ohio you wasted many hours. Anyway, so uh, yeah, a lot of these guys. Drew Thomas was in a band called Bold. Um, Tony Bono was in a band called Whiplash. So they f- actually ended up signing to uh, Revelation Records and releasing their self-titled debut album in 1991, a year after they formed. Um, and then in 1994, followed that up with their second record, Ignoranus. Um, that was, there was also an EP in there, Creepy EP, EP in um, 1992. And then... Somewhere between 94 and 95, the band signed to Hollywood Records, which has the distinction of releasing the Co- the Crow soundtrack around this time, and they released the album we're reviewing, Seamless. It was recorded with Rick, uh, how do you say his last name, Parashar? I think that's how you say it, um, who people would know from being a producer on um, Alice in Chains, Pearl Jam. He was based out of the London Bridge studio in Seattle, Washington. Uh, passed away back in um, 2014. And was also involved in the Temple of the Dog album. And played actually played on that record. And the first Pearl Jam record played organ and per- percussion. So he recorded this record in Seattle for Hollywood. As is the story with so many bands, this did not, I guess, sell well enough for Hollywood to want to release the follow-up, even though they recorded a follow-up record it did not come out and the band ended up um breaking up in i guess 96 and then got back together in 2012 um sadly the bassist tony bono uh passed away in um 2002 so when they got back together it was with a slightly different lineup so what am i missing from all that history chris what can you fill in (laughs) well so after after they broke up initially, um, you know, Drew Thomas he ended up going to play in a band called New Rising Suns with uh, Garrett Klon from Texas is the Reason. Um, they did they only put out I think one or one EP on this 
small little label called uh, Grape OS. Uh, I have no idea. I, I remember remember when New Rising Suns came around. It's like, oh, this is Garrett from Texas Reasons new band and Drew from Into uh, and Others playing drums on it. But you know, after that, they kind of disappeared until the uh, Revelation Records decided to do like a 25th anniversary show in 2012. And they asked a whole bunch of their old bands to reunite and play some play for that. Uh, I know Sensefield also played. Um, but that's kind of what started getting into another back together. And they had, there was a couple guys, because originally they could not find Peter Moses. Uh, Richie and Drew had searched all over for him and they just, they couldn't find him. He had just disappeared. Uh, so, the, you know, the guys who ended up uh, joining into another uh, during the reunion, um, they, you know, they, they were like, hey, we're going to play with, we want to play with you guys. We'll learn these songs. And they decided to play the show. And then they eventually ended up finding Peter Moses and they got back together. They've released another EP uh, and they still play shows sporadically. Um, they do a few shows every year, but you know, it's it's just one of those reunions that came. It seemed like it came out of nowhere, and yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad they're back and still, you know, but they, that's one of those things. Uh, they're just older guys now, and they play whenever they can. Yeah, they released the o- Omens EP in 2015 on Ghost Ship Records. So. That pretty much covers the history. Yeah, I was curious about what had happened um, after they had uh, broken up because it, it read like uh, the band, like Richie, like headed off to like uh, northern uh, upstate New York and like just kind of left music altogether. And uh, it seemed like the the experience with um, uh, their uh, record label and whatnot had soured them greatly. So a lot of those guys just sort of took off and, and um, didn't, uh, didn't keep making music. Yeah. That seems to be kind of a, a theme with, uh, I mean, you're talking about record labels nowadays, like they don't really even mean anything, but you know, back in the day, all these record labels would just kind of screw over these bands, like into another. And it happened to Sensefield too, where, they record this album, but the label doesn't see anything in it. They decide not to release it. So what's the band supposed to do? Right. Um, they just kind of, you know, like, well, we can't tour. They they won't support our tour. They won't put out our record. I guess we're going to have to get jobs and just be normal people. So it's pretty unfortunate, but that's how the way the, a lot of those major labels worked back in the day. So we did get one comment on Patreon from Stephen Musinski. He said, Into another, yet another oddball 90s rock band with roots in hardcore. You've covered quite a bit thus far. Quicksand, Handsome, Smile, Texas is the Reason, and more recently, Mindfunk. But I'm very happy to see Into Another get some attention. They're criminally overlooked and underrated. So many interesting aspects to their sound, and not by any one particular member. I feel like they all bring something of value to the table. Seamless is a cool album, maybe not their best, but a good listen nonetheless. They really come out swinging on those first three tracks, but by the time you hit track seven, they really mellow out a bit too much, in my opinion. After revisiting the album, uh, I think scrapping a couple tracks on the back end of the record and swapping them with the two B-sides from the tail single would leave you with a worthy album. So there's Steven chiming in. So... What we're going to do is, based on Stephen's recommendation, we're going to talk about in the regular review 
uh, the actual album, the 11 track album, Seamless. And then in our bonus Patreon content, we're going to talk about the two B sides and uh, maybe reshuffle the album. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So let's get into this record. Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Seamless by Into Another. I liked a lot about this record, so it's going to be tough to say one thing. Um, <clears throat> the bass playing, I'll say, I'll call that out first because it starts the record out. Um, mm-hmm. Both the first two tracks are propelled by really good bass um, tone, but also part. band that the drums and bass are very locked up um the vocal almost follows that the bass um sometimes more than the guitars which really makes for a big sound because you got this you know really good foundation and then the guitars can come in and out as needed and when they do you know really come in with big chords it sounds huge and then it can get quiet because the bass is uh so solid so um i'm I'm gonna say the bass playing on this record overall particularly the first couple tracks and I mean, just the way the record kicks off, it's just you're just propelled into um, some really good, I guess, I don't know, how would we classify this music? I guess we'll talk about it. But to me, it's just really good sort of hard hard rock, alternative rock. I, I did have a, fi- a hard time finding the proper category, too, because it it hits on a variety of different bands that you could say, well, like on this track, they kind of sound like this band or this band, but they themselves sound like a unified band from track to track. So it's not like they're aping any other bands. They just have, you know, a little bit of touch tones here or there. Um, in, in terms of the, one of the things that I liked, um, you mentioned a little bit, the vocals, um, not just the lead vocal, which is really strong. He covers a lot of ground. You know, he's able to do the yelling. He's able to really push his vocal to the you know into the red essentially um but then he's also able to bring it back into really melodic quiet even like almost falsetto type stuff and then you mentioned the first track there's some really great counter melodies that are in the uh, they're a little bit buried but they're in the mix and he does a really good job i'm assuming that it's him singing all the parts at least for the recording i don't know if maybe somebody else did the backing parts live but um there are counter melodies in both the pre-chorus and the chorus of the first song that really add a, a cool dimension that, you know, if you're going to compare, you're going to say that they're like a par- a post hardcore band. I don't necessarily think of post hardcore bands as having like the most stellar counter melodies or backing vocals. I think of them having like really energetic lead vocals, but not necessarily as much emphasis placed on backing vocals. And this band and, and, Richie Birkenhead does a really good job of um, adding that to quite a few tracks 
Um, that was the thing that like caught my ear right away that he was doing that. So, Chris, in revisiting this record, um, I don't know how rec- recently you listened to it prior to um, getting ready for the show, if this is something you listen to often or if it's been a while. Um, was there anything that stood out to you that is a, as incredibly strong or, or has stuck with you that you've really enjoyed about this record? Well, it's a, this is an album that I do pick up from time to time every couple of years and revisit it. It's, you know, in, in thinking about when I chose this album, what I was going to say about it, you know, really thinking about going back to their, their previous material, it seemed kind of meandering at times. Um, uh, there, I remember a friend of mine years ago, he used to call them kind of mockingly the Queensryche of the hardcore scene. Because they're they do have these like really winding songs that don't really seem to go anywhere, but for this album in particular, the songs are very concise and they're very well written. And I think the you know when you when you sign to a major label, they're always looking for the single. But when you condense their their songs into you know three four minute songs, it really works on time. That's what sticks out to me the most. Huh, that's interesting because, yeah, this is a pretty tight record. I mean, most of these songs, longest song is the last track, 446, and there's a few that get a little bit over four minutes, but most of them are, are right around the three and a half range, or in some of them are even under three minutes. Um, so I haven't listened, like Jane, I have, I don't know if you've listened, but I, I haven't listened to any of the um, previous records. I know that there are some longer song lengths just by like looking at the track lengths, but um, that's curious. Queensryche is an interesting <laughs> comparison. I did hear in not to um, compare them to Queensryche, but I did hear some slightly like progressive sounds like you would hear on maybe a King's X record. Uh, Jay, did you pick up on any of that? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's moments here melodically where, I don't. It gets into spaces like Jellyfish or Mother Love Bone or like the with the vocals yeah. and some of the atmospherics that uh, they're probably unintentionally creating. <laughs> I mean, I was thinking more of those bands. I mean, I get the uh, sort of the you can hear the hardcore sound in like the bass tone and some of the guitar riffs and mm-hmm. um, maybe some of the riffs, but there's definitely a I guess a prog rocky kind of Bent to some of it, and even just melodic, you know, melodic rock and roll. So, especially with the vocal, so which is interesting because with the background of the band, I guess I wouldn't have expected the vocal to be this expressive and I don't know dynamic. I guess is the right word. Yeah. Um, to, to your points, you know, he can do a lot of different things. I mean, he can, especially when you listen to those B sides. I mean, it sounds like a totally different vocal style he can pretty much carry almost anything on this record and they go a lot of different places so yeah chris now in revisiting this is there anything that you feel hasn't maybe aged well or that you liked when you were younger this is 20 something years ago and then now you hear it and you go hmm, that doesn't sit with me as well or or have you or have you changed in your what you've liked you know you might have really liked this song and not cared for this song and maybe that's evolved over time what how have your perceptions changed over the years i think i'm a little more patient 
when you're younger, at least with me, I was always looking for something really heavy. And yeah, I remember it's like, it's like a band like far. I remember picking them up for the first time. I was like, Oh man, these slow songs, I just don't know about it. And into another was kind of the same way. But now when you listen to, you know, songs like the way down or yeah, the other slower songs, I remember seeing them live and thinking, uh, I don't really know, but I just, I love those songs and they fit in just perfectly in this album for me. And so I'm come to come around to be a little more patient with listening to this album as a whole and not just taking out the heavier songs like locksmiths and lawyers. And I do want to address what, what, uh, Steven said. I do think on the back half, I think the song where it starts to maybe take a wrong turn on the back half is the for a wounded Wren track which sounds like it's on a different record and maybe that's more reminiscent of some of the other stuff that they did it has like this chorus clean guitar throughout and i was like waiting for it to like go heavy and it really doesn't and then there was also like these jazzy bass lines that when we like when we reviewed that mind funk record like there was a very similar song to this that like totally threw me for a loop where it sounded like a dream theater song I don't know what it is about hardcore bands from the New York, New Jersey area in the uh, early to mid nineties where they felt like they had to write that like clean jazzy slow song and stick it halfway through the record. (laughs) But uh, uh, I definitely felt like the the back half of the record was not as tight or as strong as, as the first half. Jay, did you want to chime in there? I agree with both of you. I, I don't know that uh, the songs are bad on the second half. It might be just a sequencing thing or because I do like this song. I, I, I like the way down. I, um, I think it's just maybe it could be mixed up a little bit differently um, in terms of the the jazzy thing. I don't know, my, my, my notes on this was that it was um, kind of had like a creepy Willy Wonka feel to it. There's even a melody in it that, that sounds like one of the Willy Wonka songs. Um <laughs> the the line about imagination. Oh, um, it sounds like pure imagination from Willy yeah. Wonka. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just that little when he sings that little line, I was like, "What?" <laughs> but um, I think what you're responding to is I don't know if he's using a fretless bass, but it definitely sounds like that style of bass playing that we hear on like, um, remember that band Seed we reviewed in season one? Yeah, they had sound like that. Um, there's a lot of like the playing the 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 ride cymbal bell and like cymbals that are real kind of like chimey and atmospheric and um, some reverb on the clean guitar and it creates this i think what you're talking about that kind of jazzy loose atmospheric kind of sound a yeah. lot of 
a lot of complex melodies and stuff on this this song too, and and harmonies and background vocals. So I dug it, but I I get that the the second half is is different for sure. Yeah, and I don't mind the other slower tunes. That's not what bo- it's not the slowness that bothers me. It's just the the production and and what have you yeah. on that particular song because I like May I, I I like how that has the electric piano and the way down I think is a good closer. Um, actually, the other song in the back half that I had a problem with was Afterbirth, which I just felt like it sounded like um it sounded like grungy, like it sounded like yeah. a, like a almost like a, it was like a precursor to like Godsmack or something, and I was like, that, oh, yeah. I'm not, I am not on board with this. That was the song I had uh I had marked as probably the most generic sounding song on the record. Yeah, Allison Chainsy. Yeah, um, yeah, I could hear the um. What band did you say? Godsmack. Godsmack. Yeah, I could. I could kind of hear is that. Basically, Alice in Chains. Yeah, if the just, whole record would have been like this. It wouldn't have been nearly as interesting for me. Um, but uh, you know, one track I'm willing to forgive. No, that's. I think that's what made it stand out so much is that the first like six songs for me are all really, really strong, and then to hit for a wounded wren and then afterbirth two in a row, and I was like. Oh God, where is this going? Like it, it, it picks up. I liked regarding earthlings. I like, like the switch to that three, four swing, like time signature. And then I, I, it's, it ended on a strong note with may I and w- the way down for what those songs are. Um, so I didn't feel like it totally collapsed. I just felt like when it hits like seven and eight, it just kind of like hit a dead spot for me. And then it, re- it recovered well enough with the last three songs, but I was definitely like starting to doubt where it was going um after those first after the first half because it's like those songs are like right in that like quicksand handsome like new york hardcore which is this is really helping set up next year's uh round table which hint hint we're going to be doing a digging your scene on new york city so all these bands that we're talking about we're going to be able to reference um when we get to that particular episode along with you know, who else is from new york city that we've covered jay degeneration NY loose um girls against boys girls against boys yeah yeah so there's a few so this is this will be added to the list of um a lot of interesting records that came out and we're starting to figure out a sound i think for what new york city was producing it didn't seem like we could figure that out at the beginning of the podcast and now we've slowly sort of like figured out what was going on in New York city as a, as a, or at least a part of it as a unified kind of sound driving out of there. Chris, are we off on the back half or, or am I off on the back half of the record, especially with those couple songs? You hear what I'm saying? No, I, I totally understand. Uh, I'm, I can, I can see how some people would think that eh, it kind of dips in the second half and it, it might lose some people. I, I, mem- I remember seeing these guys twice live when they were touring for this album, and both times they closed with The Way Down.
I remember going to like seeing them play that live. So whenever I'm listening to this album, it's like, hey, I can get through that, and I'll hear the song. And I, just, I remember them playing that. So um, I, I do, you know, it does kind of dip from how fast and frenetic the opening tracks are. But yeah, I, I have what what you guys say is, you know, I, I totally understand it. And there's a there's always a chance that if you have you know nine or ten straight tracks of the same sort of up tempo aggressive vibe that you tend to like get a little fatigued from it so i understand putting in those slower tracks where they did i just uh, maybe they weren't a bright order of them but um maybe that's why it didn't work but it's a it's a catch-22 because if you do it the wrong way with the all up-tempo stuff, you're just going to make people's ears fall off uh, to, at that, keeping that same level. I know we've definitely had albums like that, Jay, where it's just, you just get pounded for 35, 40 minutes and you're like, God, that felt like two hours because <laughs> it was just so much coming at you. Yeah. And I think this, this band could, could have easily done that. You know, I think if, if the first half of the record and the second half uh, would have mimicked on the second half, I think you may have, felt that way or at least i probably would have so i i like the variety i I think the sequencing could be different um but uh i think the songs are here to work with so we'll talk about the sequencing and and we'll talk about the the b-sides in our patreon bonus area um but i want to talk about our overall reviews for this record whether it's a worthy album a better ep or a decent single jay where do you stand i'm at a worthy album um i think i made my case pretty clear um Mm -hmm. i also love the guitar playing on the record it's this tone all the tones are are excellent um and there's some really inventive just breaks and accents and riffs uh the song actual size the bridge riff is just really unexpected and cool um it's heavy, but also they can they can, you know, kind of get lighter and, and and make some room for the vocal and the bass. Yeah, I mean, all around, great playing, really, yeah. really strong songs. I mean, I, I, did, I guess I didn't expect the songs to be as strong as they are as I got into the record um, in terms of pretty concise. I think you hit on that. So I don't know. For me, there's a lot here to like. So solid record. I am going to agree with you. I think this is a worthy album. I'm I, Like I said at the beginning, I'm kind of shocked that we had never heard of this before. I know, it I just, know. Just... 
you know, reiterates how big of our blind spots are, are can be at times um, with regards to uh, certain genres or certain cities or what have you that uh, that this went that we went this long without knowing about this uh, kind of um, is embarrassing, quite frankly, for you, Jay. And um, <laughs> and uh, I will say I'll, I'll agree with you. I think um, his guitar playing is so interesting. It's Peter Moses um, because he does. He finds like the the really strong sweet spot of like a lot of really cool riffs, soloing. You know, like you mentioned, like doing some cool like accent stuff here and there, but not like he he never overplays. Like he could easily overplay, and um, I think that the production on this kind of reins him in because uh, like on you notice it like on track two locksmiths and lawyers when he goes to when they go to the bridge and he does a solo on that track um there's it drops out like there's no there's no second guitar that they doubled for and it's just the bass carrying the rhythm and so they kept a pretty true production to what the band was i'm sure they did some embellishes in other places um, and there's, you know, there's some electric piano and organ and stuff added here and there, but kind of buried in the mix. Yeah. I mean, you can tell when he, when he goes to the solos that he can play, Yeah, but he doesn't overplay. It's just enough to, to, to build the part and to tie, you know, the song together and to accent something. And, but you can tell like, oh, wow. Okay. This guy can really play. He could totally like, you know, do a killer solo if he wanted to, but. Right. This is what he thought was right for the song. Chris, I'm going to assume that you are going to give this a worthy album. Yeah, sure. Um, <laughs> it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's my favorite album of theirs in their catalog. Uh, it's it's it really does stand out to me because it's, it's one of the reasons I picked it is it's one of those records in the '90s that if you're not looking for it, you might not find it. But when you do, there's something there that oh, this is totally different. Um, and it, if you go back in their catalog, it takes you down a, a different scene into the hardcore scene. And then if you go forward into the to the unreleased record, if you ever get a chance to hear that, it's 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 a lot different than what this record that we're talking about sounds like. Um, and it's it's just one of those you know pieces from the, the the era that hey, they signed to a major label and they tried to make it and they wrote some great songs and it just it it didn't hit unfortunately but still a great record i will say that and and jay i don't know if you've looked at it or not the album cover doesn't do this band any favors um no it's it's bizarre it looks like it's going to be like a rap rock album or something yeah the font is terrible and you have no idea what it is when if you look at it like it's just it's a very weird album cover especially considering like from what I've seen of like recent stuff on their on their website, they have like a very definite like dark look to them in terms of the Omens EP. And this looks like yeah, it could be like it could have been like an early Kid Rock EP. <laughs> like like I don't know what this is. Um, there's like broken TVs and that are like drawn with a like robot, and then just two terrible fonts that they got off of Word ninety six or something or Word ninety five. Uh, so that would be a case where if I was flipping through the back in college and I was going through the CD bin 
and like trying to just grab some CDs that I thought looked interesting, I probably would have passed on that based on the album cover. So that's maybe why I missed this, missed this record or my bias against that font. I'm not sure. But Chris, thank you for suggesting this and thank you for um, staying a part of the Patreon family for the last 12 months. And um, stick around because we're going to talk some more. All right. And want to remind everybody, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash dig me out. You become a member and support the podcast at the $1 level. You get bonus content like what we're about to record and place on the Patreon website. Uh, you also get entered into contests for stuff. Every quarter we give away something. This quarter it is a coffee mug, a giant jumbo coffee mug that you can swim in. And um, no, it's not that big. It's it's like a 20-something ouncer. Lots of coffee in there. It's like two regular cups of coffee. So you can get really amped up in the morning. And um, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. For Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. Thanks for listening. To support the podcast, visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber or request a review at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, as well as our merchandise store at zazzle.com.